Good morning. It is Monday, June 22nd, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on our Facebook page. Today on Community Pulse, our host, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, joins us to cover the latest on the scientific data about masks and face coverings. Dr. Alleman is a local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. Good morning, Dr. Alleman. Good morning, Mallory. It's Monday morning. Here we go for another week of this interesting times we're living in. Mm-hmm. So before we get into talking about masks, um, I um, wanted to just go through some numbers. So total numbers in the world, 9 million people have documented infection with 471,000 people dead and uh, 4.5 million people recovering. In the United States, we're still having about a quarter of the the world's population, 2.3 million um, infected with documented cases. 122,000 people died with almost a million, 980,000 people recovering. Um, in Missouri, what we're seeing is that we, we've been, you know, sort of, um, we've been going up and down this sort of undulating, mostly stable uh, pattern. And what we're see- and most of the new cases were in St. Louis and Kansas City. And now we're seeing um, that the hot spots, the rapidly increasing cases are shifting to actually to the southwest part of the state in the Joplin area. So McDonald County doubled their cases over the weekend to 473,000. This is a pretty sparsely populated uh, county, and uh, most of this part of the of the state is, uh, you know, over 90, uh, between 85 and 90 percent uh, white. And so I'll be interested. Dr. Alleman, are you still there? Thank you for staying with us. We are back with Dr. Elizabeth Alleman to give us the latest on the num- local, statewide, national numbers. Um, Dr. Alleman, would you like to take the reins once again? Sure. Thanks for uh, your technical assistance there. <laughs> 18,829 cases in Missouri with 980 deaths. In Boone County... Um, it looks like we've had, a, uh, according to the county uh, data, we've had a total positive cases of 257 uh, with almost 60 active cases um, and two deaths. So um, this, uh, these active cases are on, you know, need, are, during the time that they're under quarantine, are getting daily contacts from the health department and their uh, contacts are being contacted. So 60 active cases means a marked increase in the uh, workload for our health department. Um, So um, I'm ready to start to talk about masks, and I'm wondering, Mallory, what are your burning questions about masks? And we'll see whether um, the data has any indication about what how to answer that. I think my my biggest question right now is outside. Do we need to be wearing masks when we're outside doing things with other people if we're well, I guess if we're social, yeah, if we're social distancing or just not really around others, you know. Right, right. So that's a great question. And I think that um, most of this data that I'm looking at are it's collected in circumstances like healthcare workers, 
and in um, situations where a person in the household is infected and the other people in the household are not infected but are going to continue to live in that space during the time that this person is sick and recovering and maybe or maybe not under quarantine because some of, some of these studies have been done looking at influenza and some have been done looking at uh, the SARS epidemic um, in you know, a decade or so ago, and uh, the MERS, Middle East Respiratory uh, Syndrome, um, those viruses, which are both also coronaviruses. And I am not aware of anybody looking at um, uh, mask use outside. So that's a great question, and I will see if I can find the answer. I think that um, many people are questioning that. So I'll just tell you what I do, Mallory, and that is that mm-hmm. I am not wearing a mask outside. Okay. Um, I am trying to limit how many people I'm around, even outside, and I'm trying to not um, get really close to them, and I am not sharing food, and I'm not touching them. Okay. I'm not saying that anybody else should do that. I'm just saying that that's what I'm doing for now. I think also that um, initially in the initial days when we didn't know really what was going on and we wondered whether this um, local incidents of a non-influenza influenza-like illness. This thing that everybody says, I'm sure I had star. I'm sure I had uh, COVID in January, or February. There was an impressive illness that was making people really miserable going around January, February, March. And so far, all the people I have been able to test who had that um, were negative. They did not. We did not detect SARS-CoV uh, RNA in their noses. Now, the test is not 100% perfect, um, but when the incidence in the community is really low, the chances that a positive, that a negative is, is accurate is much higher than if the incidence is higher. And it's a statistical uh, dance. It's an interesting one. But um, <clears throat> so we were concerned that that was um, a COVID disease, and we were recommending that people take pretty impressive drastic action. Mm-hmm. And then there are two sort of approaches that people are needing to make. One is an approach of I'm going to do everything I can to not get this because I'm either high risk, I carry for somebody who's high risk, I just don't want to get it. I'm willing to, and I have the capacity to really limit my interactions, and I'm just staying in until this whole thing sweeps over. If it takes five years, that's, that's okay. I can survive, and I really like my own company. Um and that's one attitude. And the other attitude is like, you know, I just really want to do my part for the community. I don't want to have rapid spread through my community. Um, I would rather not get it now. Um, I would love to get it later if I could. But if I get it now, I, I have a confidence that my body can handle it or that if it's my time, I, I'm okay with dying as well. Um, and that is more the attitude that I'm taking now. Then the other attitude is um, I don't think this is that big of a deal and we should all just go back to the way life was before. Um, there are many people of, of integrity who um, take that stand, and I am probably not articulating it correctly because it's not the stance I'm taking, and I have for the last couple of months been pretty irritated and unopened to that approach, but I, um, I am noticing that there's a huge division in our communities, and I think the division may be more dangerous than the virus, so that's where I'm going with that. So back to masks, primarily they're going to be helpful if we're indoors. And what we know is that most of these masks are not tight enough to prevent the movement of the virus. 
through it because the virus is really tiny. So these N95 masks, they do prevent 95% of things the size of a virus from going through them. But what we know is that 5% then are getting through. So we, these masks seem to be effective in reducing infection. And so the question is, how is that if the virus is small enough to get through them, even something like a handkerchief or a, um, or something made out of T-shirt fabric? Um, we know that the holes in that are much are large enough for a virus to get through. But I think the way we're thinking now is that these viruses aren't floating around by themselves. They are on droplets and aerosols. So they're sort of, and those particles, the particles of a droplet and the particles of an aerosol are either slowed or stopped by these much more porous, much more comfortable, much cheaper, much available things that we can make at home. That said, we don't have any data about cloth, cotton, face coverings. There's very little data about that, and most of the data has been done either with the surgical disposable um, masks or um, the N95 respirator-type masks that people often might have in their shop if they are sanding or they might use them to mow the lawn. Um, and in healthcare settings, those are manufactured in a very similar way, but they're, they're sized, and there actually is a process of testing the fit where a person uh, puts the mask on their face and they tighten it down and they crimp the little thing around their nose. And then um, while they're breathing, the um, testing person uh, sprays um, uh, uh, a mist that has, I think, lactose in it, has some sugar in it. And so when you can taste sweet, we know that there's a, a leak around the edges of the mask. And so it, the mask is modified in some way or a different size is tried. And to get that kind of a seal, people have to remove their facial hair. Um, and uh, that is something that we're doing for healthcare providers. But w in one study, it showed there wasn't that big of a difference between the protectiveness of a fit, a properly fit mask, fitted mask or a, or a not fitted mask. So it probably may still makes sense to go through the process of fitting a mask since we know how to do that and we would it would make sense that it would be more effective. But what we what the data seems to show is that even a non-fitted N95 mask has some protection. Now, the so it looks like on so there's no big study that's exactly the question we want to ask, but there are Lots of smaller studies that people have been able to kind of combine in what's called a meta-analysis. So a total of 21 studies was done with meta-analysis recently, like the, this spring sometime. Um, and that uh, mask use provided a significant protective effect. The odds ratio, ratio was 0.35. So um, that means that uh, compared to, I think that what that means is that if 100% of, of effectiveness is like 100% of risk is what you would get if you didn't wear a mask, the mask wearing reduced the risk to 35% of what it would have been otherwise. So that's just in a meta-analysis using masks in various viral illnesses reduced your risk to 35% of what it would have been if you were not wearing a mask. And this is protecting the person who wears the mask. So we've gotten this story that the that we've got to really, you know, have mask policies and we have to force other people, we have to 
scowl at people who don't wear a mask and we have to be judgmental and hard-hearted because the story is that the mask that I wear only protects other people and that if I want to be protected, then everybody around me has to wear a mask. And that, there's some truth to that. That is that it all works better if everybody wears a mask. But there is significant protection if for you when you wear a mask. And I am hoping that spreading that information more widely, I know I'm in direct contradiction to Anthony Fauci, which always makes me humble. But based on this study that I'm looking at, it looks like people wearing the mask are also protected. And what the other data is that people, healthcare workers who wear personal protective equipment are much less likely to get the disease, to get the disease than, than those who don't, even when they're doing things to a patient who can't be wearing a mask, like they're putting in a breathing tube um, or they are swabbing somebody's nose. You cannot, like you can't swab someone's nose if they have a mask. You have to, I mean... You have to lower the mask to get at their nose. So what we know is that there is some significant protection for the person who wears the mask. All of this is more helpful, like it's more effective if we combine it with distancing and um, uh, what they call, I'm trying to remember the name, where you um, were cohorting, where a group of people sort of stay together and they don't mix with other people. So in places where we've got, we've had um, uh, RSV or other respiratory viruses, when we dedicate a ward to the, the people we think have it and another ward to the people we think don't have it and we, don't, we have dedicated staff. So we don't have a whole lot of people running back and forth. This is expensive and difficult. So that means that the respiratory therapists have to be dedicated, the x-ray technicians, the thousands, hundreds of people that go through a person's hospital room have to be, every day, have to be duplicated and created two different teams so that they, or more, so that we all keep all the staff separate from each other. Uh, I'm not sure how people pull that off, but apparently that helps as well. And washing our hands. And the interesting thing to me is that when they're looking at hand washing effectiveness, it is the distinction is um, between people who wash their hands less than 10 times a day and people who wash their, their hands more than 10 times a day. And I think I'm pretty good at hand washing. I don't think I'm up to 10 times a day. <laughs> me neither. So, right. So frequent hand washing, I've been waiting. You know, I've been like, okay, of course, before and after I eat and before and after I use the restroom and before and after every patient that I see. But I am not doing, I don't think that comes up to 10 times a day. Mm-hmm. So, um Mm-hmm. Dr. Alman, I have I have yeah. a question for you. Um, yeah. I've been seeing some stuff, especially in kind of the alternative medicine realm, about how mask coverings can sometimes be detrimental to respiratory health because yeah. you're breathing in the CO2 that you're exhaling. Um, can you talk about that just a little bit? I mean, is there validity in that? Um, are, are there some people who really shouldn't be wearing masks? Um, or is that pretty negligible um, in terms so is, of being a real real thing that affects people? Yeah, this is a beautiful question. Thank you. Um, this has never been a thing that I worried about when I wore a mask. And um, it has never been a thing that I have heard discussed among people who wear a mask all day, like surgeons and other people who work in operating rooms. Um, and it is true that we get more respiratory illnesses than other people, and I, I don't 
think it had to do with wearing a mask, but I guess that's a possibility. It just seems like a long shot. It is hard to imagine how rebreathing my own breath with the with the bacteria and viruses that I already have in my breath would be a problem to me. Um, and yeah, so that okay. it just seems it seems far fetched to me. There's another. I'm not saying that it's not possible, and I am not intending to be insulting or dismissive. But I just want to be clear that this is not a concern. Uh, it is not a concern that I have. Mm-hmm have carried with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other concern I've heard people mention is that it decreases your oxygenation. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I in the wintertime, I put a scarf around my face to keep my own um, face warm. Um, uh, I sometimes, if I'm really cold, I, you know, put the sheet up above my head if I'm, you know, trying to get ready for bed, you know, like get my bed warm. Um, if I'm camping, I sometimes, you know, snuggle down into the sleeping bag and I have never, and, and I have worn a surgical mask or some other kind of face mask for hours and hours and hours and never had any sense that I had less oxygen. Because this is a concern, I actually put on a mask and um, I have a pulse oximeter here in my office and I've been testing it before and after and I have noticed no difference, and the same no difference with um, family members and my office staff person who've been um, willing to be my guinea pigs. Um, so I, and the thing is, there's also a lot of flow in and out through the, like, through the mask and around the mask. So, um, and what I know about the body, it's funny that it doesn't seem to be happening when people are infected with COVID, but in most circumstances, if your oxygen reduces even a little bit, you will feel it and your respiratory rate will increase. So if people are worried that, oh my goodness, I wonder whether it could happen to me, um, that um, as long as you are feeling well, you, you know, like you don't have a fever and you don't have headache and, you know, cough and shortness of breath, any of those things, if you are feeling like you're breathing comfortably through the mask, you are um, uh, getting enough oxygen. Hmm. Now, there are some people who have legitimate reasons where wearing a mask is really uncomfortable for them. Um, people who have, um, have experienced trauma that was related to suffocation um, find that this is really panic-inducing, and I mm-hmm. totally get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are um, people with respiratory illnesses who, who have experienced a lot of shortness of breath, and having any restriction of airflow is really stressful for them, even if they're oxygen oxygenation in their blood is normal. Um, And there are some people who have difficulties understanding other people if they cannot read lips or if things are muffled. Mm -hmm. And um, these are legitimate things that we need to be keep doing creative things about. Um, And I hope that people with mild or moderate or even severe hearing loss will just begin to ask for what they need. I need you to lower your mask so I can understand you. Mm And that I think that we all ought to be willing to do that because communication is also makes us safer and healthier. So, um, but I think that presuming that everybody around us has a hearing loss and we don't want people to have to ask to speak up for what they want, so none of us are going to wear a mask, seems like um, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. 
All right, two more questions. Do you have yeah. do you have time? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um they're relatively simple probably. Well, maybe. Nothing is simple <laughs> in these times. <laughs> but um my right. ne- my next question is um so when I go to the grocery store or something and I'm wearing a mask, I don't have one of those masks that like fits super well. So I feel like I'm constantly like moving it up to make sure it's covering my nose or resituating mm-hmm. it. And I've heard and read so much about like, don't touch your mask. That's it's really bad to touch your mask, especially when you're out um, touching, you know, things in the grocery store. Right. Um, uh-huh. Is that really like a, a pretty is that a consideration I should make? I mean, should I go home and tighten my mask and make sure that I don't have to touch it? Or um, I think that I getting know. a well-fitting mask is a good idea for our comfort and for our sense of um, ease. And yes, repeatedly touching the outside of your mask and then touching your face because it's really impossible. I have not come up with a technique where I can readjust my mask without also touching my face mm-hmm. or without touching the part of the mask that I'm breathing through. So if our idea is that those respiratory droplets that we don't want to breathe in have landed on the outside of our mask, which I don't know. I mean, there are people who have done studies about this, and in high-risk settings, yes, you can get the the virus off the outside of the mask. And then now you've touched your hand with it, and now maybe you're going to also rub your eye while you're up there because that's what your instinct is. So I think that doing making the investment in getting some masks that fit comfortably, what I found was I made some out of some... t-shirts and I made a really large rectangle and um, that stays on my face so I think Hmm. the rectangle was like six or seven inches um, in the vertical distance and then it was like nine inches across so it comes all the way you know over to my ears and it felt at first I'm like wow that is way too big it is much larger than the surgical masks that I'm used to wearing Mm -hmm. and it is it is the shape that stays on my face the best Okay. So do what it takes to get one so that you don't have to touch it. And then I heard this, you know, physician online talking about what she does. She has seven masks and she just has them labeled what the days are. And so she wears the Monday mask on Monday and then she just lets it sit. So she doesn't even feel like she needs to wash them because they sit for seven days Hmm. without any touching. So they just sit there. And that way we could reduce the amount of laundering that we're having to do with our masks. So, um, Lots of different ways to do yeah. that. Yeah, I, I have some old T-shirts I can turn into masks. Yeah. I like that idea. Uh-huh. Okay, my last question is about gyms. I want to talk about working out indoors. Gyms are yeah. open now. Um, a lot of them are social distancing, um, you know, reducing their capacity. But I just keep imagining, I personally haven't gone back to a gym yet. Yeah. Um, I just keep imagining people breathing heavily in a room that probably doesn't have very good ventilation to begin with. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, what are your thoughts? I mean, obviously exercise is so important. And if people have a routine of going right. to the gym and that's how they're you know, staying healthy, staying active. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the cost benefit analysis of yeah, being I in a room you, with other heavy breathers? Yeah, you reviewed it beautifully. So I have exactly the same concerns <laughs> that you do. Ways that we could reduce the risk is going when it's not very busy, um, washing all the things down really well after you've touched them and before you touch them. Uh, opening windows and running fans would be likely to reduce the risk, um, and uh, wearing masks, mm-hmm. which um, uh, is possible. And, um, you know, again, there are some people who have difficulty wearing masks. Um, 
uh, but most of us can wear a mask comfortably. I finally come to the conclusion that I think that in this whole COVID pandemic, the fact that uh, women have been excused from wearing bras is a legit change for the better. I mm. am happy to wear a mask and happy to let go of my bra. Mm-hmm. Great. So, and the, yeah, one of the things that Val Bader said on, on your health matters this week is that you could actually make a mask out of a bra. I think that's going to be uncomfortable, but, um, <laughs> Anyway, so I, yeah, uh, and if you can, I am so, I want to normalize doing everything outside, Mm -hmm. especially in the summer when we can. In the winter, it's a little bit harder, although I'm thinking, you know, it's time to start to, when other, when some people are emptying their closets of their winter gear, it's time for us to like really up our winter gear so that we can do all the things outside, even when it gets to be winter. Um, So I would love to see people somehow figuring out how to put, um, uh, exercise equipment outside, like in a pavilion, so that we could do it outside and be even safer, especially once the winter time comes. Yeah, yeah, I love that idea. Outdoor, mm-hmm. socially distanced fitness classes. Perhaps. Let's do let's do all the things outdoors. Let's do education outdoors. Let's do healthcare outdoors. Let's do exercise outdoors. Let's do gatherings outdoors. We're going to get more vitamin D. We're going to use our eyes more. We're going to get more movement. Yeah. Um, we're going to spend less time sitting in chairs. We'll be healthier if we just do all the things outdoors. I'm all for that. Anything yeah. else, Dr. Allman, for today? Thank That's you for all. staying with us a few extra minutes to no, answer my question. Thanks for giving me the few extra minutes. Um, I, um, I'll, tomorrow I want to do um, a review of some therapeutic advances, which I think are exciting. Um, and uh, then I'll, I'll also be looking to see that I can schedule some guests for um, upcoming shows. Great. Sounds good. All right. Have a great Thanks. day. You Bye. too. Bye. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. You can catch Community Pulse Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. and later in the day at KOPN.org and on our Facebook page. As always, we want to know what questions, comments, and insights you have related to coronavirus. Leave a message for us at 573-874-1139 or email gm at KOPN.org. Up next, we have a brief music break followed by an abridged version of background briefing. Thank you so much for listening to KOPN 89.5, your volunteer-run, listener-supported community radio station. Have a great day.